What is up, everyone? My name is Danny, and this is the It Makes Sense podcast. Here at It Makes Sense, we address why the Christian worldview is the only worldview that makes the most sense out of life in the universe. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is part two of the Mark Twain problem. We ended last week with this. Uh, Don't defend yourself if attacked, Matthew 539. Now, if you're just now joining us, what we're looking at here is a picture of Mark Twain and a quote by Mark Twain. That quote says, the best cure for Christianity is reading the Bible. Mark Twain basically saying, read the Bible and you won't be a Christian. And uh, that's pretty harsh, but you know, when you read read a Bible a certain way with a certain lens, you're going to probably see that. Now, what we want to do is we're breaking down each one of these um, these points here that this person made. Now, Mark Twain did not make these points. This is from somebody who created this. And so basically what, what they're doing is, is they're taking a verse and then they're telling us what that verse means or what it's telling us, all right? The first one right off the top was um, prayer, not doctors if you're sick. Chapter 5, verse 14, James is telling us that we should go get prayer instead of seeing a doctor. Right? We went through that whole thing. You'll need to listen to the last episode, uh, part one, that we just talked about this to find out the rest of that answer. But this is what we're dealing with right now. In, in our culture, in our world today, there is a ton of memes out there that are anti-Christian that are throwing up verses without even giving you the verse. They're throwing them up, and they're saying, hey, if you want to go look this up, just go look this verse up because this is what it means. And we know in this today in society, people just read headlines, and they don't read the content of what the headline is is sharing or telling you about. And so don't be that person, okay? Do your research. Be diligent. or Trust but verify is, is a saying I like to, to use in, in my life. When I am listening to, to an expert, okay, or listening to somebody, uh, I'm not telling you the experts don't know what they're talking about. But we're all human, and it doesn't matter how objective we say we are. We have our biases. We have our opinions, even I, this is this is a show that I'm hoping to share objective truth from the Bible, but I'm I'm sharing some of my opinion in here as well. I'm not going to deny that, but what I'm trying to do is sort of set the record straight with these verses. And so, what we're going to start off today with one that's ended with the the last one, which is very similar. Don't defend yourself if attacked. This is coming from the same chapter and just a few verses later. Um, let's get going. Give anything you have to anyone who asks. All right. Matthew 5.42 says, Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, just reading this verse, I don't get the sense that it's saying, give away everything, you know, when somebody asks you, all right? I don't think it's telling us that. If you have a family and you're taking care of your family, you're not going to take literally the bread out of your child's mouth to give it to somebody else's, all right? You have to feed your children. You have to take responsible uh, responsibility of your family, all right? But when we have, when we're blessed with things, we need to be ready to give away. We need to have this idea that everything we own, as Christians, everything we own is not ours. We are stewards of what we have. I am sitting in a studio with a computer in front of me, and though this computer is my computer, I need to be ready, if necessary, to run this computer back to its original state and be able to give it away if God says, here, that needs to go to them. That person needs it worse than you do. I need to be willing to do that. If I have a jacket on and God is, and, and there's some, uh, I'm out in the cold, and I know that I can get a jacket out of the car, or I can go home and get a jacket. And I just got to be cold for a little bit. And there's somebody over here that that's freezing in the cold, homeless, doesn't have a jacket. I need to be willing to give my jacket to that person. That's what this is saying. All right, it's it's a denial of self. 
and putting others first, but not at the expense of family and self, but out of the gifts of God we are blessed with. So we can bless others. We're given things to bless others. That's why we have to have this idea of stewardship in our heads that even our kids are not our own. They've been given to us for a time, and we're to pour into them and raise them up in, in, in God's word, in the ways of Christ, okay? And then they're, they're God's. He's going to use them. He's the, he's the one that gave them to us in the first place. They're going to go back to him at some point, but they're his. And so we're here to steward um, our material things, our relationships, all of that, okay? The idea here is the last is first and the first is last, and that's where we should be at with everything in life that we need to put others, in, even in the, the two greatest commandments, love God first, love others second, okay? There's no way in there does it say for me to love myself in between God and others or before God or, or you know, right after, even right after others. The idea is, is I am loving myself when I put God first and I love others, okay, and put others first. So this, is, this goes right in line with, again, the, the, the idea of don't defend yourself if attacked in what it says in Matthew 539, okay? Take it for what it's saying. Sometimes you don't have to inject into it something else because that that's not in here. And if you read in this entire in context, this is what God's trying to tell us. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us. All right, don't do not pray in public. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus continues to explain in verse 5, right before this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will get. That's when he follows up with pray privately, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, okay? Have that time with God because honestly, what was happening here, and you got to understand the audiences, a lot of them that were following Jesus, there was religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees that were you know, in and throughout the groups, and, and they were listening to Jesus' message, and Jesus knew that. In verse 5, he says this to point, and it's to pierce the heart of those Pharisees, and it did. They knew what he was saying to them. They knew that Jesus was calling them out, you know, that they were putting on this this mask or this front for everybody. They had no relationship with God behind in private and closed doors. They were doing everything outward and publicly to make themselves look better. And Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Because if you can't do it in private, then you better not do it in public. If you can't be with God and in, in praying to God and having a conversation with God and spending time with God in, in private, then what's the point of doing it publicly? Because it's nothing but a facade in the first place. So Jesus is calling out the Pharisees in this one, and I love that. For, I love him for that. All right, next one. Don't save your money. Now, Jesus talks about finances a lot, okay? He talks about hell the most. He talks about finances quite a bit. And, and in that, we have to, in a lot of the parables sort of along the lines of that, we have to understand that Jesus is definitely, just in context, before I even read this verse, we should already know, if you have read the New Testament, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've read the New Testament, you should already know that Jesus is not telling you just to spend money frivolously, okay? They try to tell us that we're supposed to just give everything away, and now we're following up with don't save your money, and that's not what's being said at all. Matthew 5, in context with Matthew uh, chapter 6, you get a bigger and better picture, more precise and clear picture of this. Matthew six nineteen. this is the verse they're using. Don't store up treasures here on earth, 
where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, where have we heard that before? We have to read this passage in context, and this is also one that means a lot to me, not this particular verse, but this passage, because it talks about not worrying as well. But it's also talking about where our heart lies. And it starts in verse 19 and goes all the way down to verse 34, where they're telling us, if your heart is here, you'll be worried about this constantly. But why worry about it? Don't put your heart there. Stop worrying about it because the lilies of the field are taken care of. The birds of the air are taken care of, and they don't worry. Well, that's going to be brought up here in just a minute. I'll I'll give you that verse here in just a second. If we look at this in verse 20 in context, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. What do you value most? All right, And what you value most will either make you or break you. So keep that in mind. And this is, this is going to continue on because now we're going to go down to the very end where this person says, don't plan for the future because Matthew 6.34 tells you not to. Let's read it. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, worries is the word in there. It's not talking about treasures, okay? It's not talking about planning. It's not telling you not to do anything other than don't worry. What's the point about worrying about tomorrow? Worrying and planning are not the same thing. You can plan. We're allowed to plan for the future. Now, the idea is to plan with the help of the Holy Spirit because we want to be in God's plan. We don't want to plan and and take our own plan and then mold it with God and sort of inject them into our plan. No, we want to have God's plan. There's nothing wrong with saving money, okay? But if we're hoarding it and if we're storing it up just because uh, we want to have material things or we want to have money in a 401k that's so big that we can retire and live the rest of our life, you know, cush and so on and so forth. But we're not going to serve God in that. We're not going to serve God for the rest of our life. Then our hearts are not in the right place. If we're going to save money because we want to have money left for our kids to be able to use, for them to be able to save up for, you know, their kids and and just make sure that there's money to support and, and provide to help out so that they can do more things, that they can be blessed and also do more things with the money that they begin for God, then that's why we want to save. But ultimately, when we die, we're not taking anything with us. It's all staying here. Uh, we're Not even the clothes we're buried in is going to go with us. Uh, so we want to make sure that we take, again, put this whole thing in context. From, chapter, uh, from verse 19 down to 34, if you read it, it's not talking about not planning. It's not talking about not saving your money. It's talking about where is your heart? What is most important to you? Do you put your money ahead of God? Are you putting your money ahead of your family, your career, ahead of your wife? Are you putting, you know, sitting down and watching uh, football on Sunday ahead of spending time with your kids and doing some things with them when you can watch football next weekend? You know, whatever it is, and I'm speaking, I guess, to the guys mostly on that, but whatever it is, it's where your heart is, is what Jesus is trying to get to. And where your heart is, is where you're going to either worry more or worry less. That's basically what he's saying here. This verse and all verses that concern remarriage are not saying a person cannot remarry. In that verse, it says, however, depending on the circumstance, adultery or unbelieving spouse leaves of the divorce remarriage, uh, let me let me say that again. 532 says you can get remarried. Depending on the circumstance, you are not considered to have been in sin if the person left because of an uh, unfaithful marriage 
they were unfaithful, or if they left and they were unbelieving, okay? Being remarried after that is permissible. Now, this is talking about divorced women in that regard, but there are there are ways that we can get remor- we can get remarried. Now, Paul it would rather a person stay single or reconcile to the person they divorced. And that's what we are that's what Paul is saying God would rather happen. What do you do with that? Well, does it say that a person that is remarried is continuously in adultery or have they committed it in the initial act? I believe that's what it says. We have some other verses in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, it says it does not call remarriage or it does not call remarriage adultery while seemingly allowing it without it being considered a sin. Let me let me read that to you uh, briefly here. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through 4, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the Lord land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. All right. So it says nothing about, um, it, it's talking about divorce there. It's not mentioning whether it's right or wrong in this regard. Uh, it just says if she does not please him, he can give her a certificate of divorce. But it's also not opposing to getting remarried here as well. So there is a little bit of a gray area, and I know some people would probably disagree with me on that, and that is fine. In the same passage, it's also not saying that remarriage is invalid. Um, nowhere does the Bible command remarried couples to get divorced. Okay, keep that in mind as well. Even when it talks about remarriage being a uh, potential sin, it's not. it never says to get divorced. Uh, like I said before, ending a remarriage in uh, divorce outside of the reasons that God's allowed is still um, a sin. And Malachi, again, we can't avoid that. It says God hates divorce. The ultimate hope, though, is that in divorce that a person will either remain single or that they will be re- reconciled. Divorce has become a terrible thing in our country. All right. Don't wear nice clothes, Matthew 6, 28 through 29. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they, man, this sounds familiar again, and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. All right, these verses go back up to the passage we talked about before where we're talking about where your heart is, where your treasures lies, where your heart is. Um, are you laying up treasures here on earth? Are you doing it, laying them up in heaven? And this is this is telling us not to worry. It's going into that idea that where where our heart is is where our worry is going to be. And if we know that God's got us, we have a lot less worrying to do. And I can tell you from having anxiety and dealing with that for many years, uh, this is one of those passages, particularly Matthew six thirty three, that have has helped me through that. Um, it leads me to Philippians four four through nine, which helps me even more and gives me a little bit more proactive steps to take rather than just sort of reactionary steps to take when anxiety comes upon me. We've, we're already seeing a collection of passages put together that are being used to express several different um, anti-Christian sentiments. When, when you put it all together, that's not the idea at all. So again, you have to read this stuff in context. All right, this last one is probably a, a very difficult one for people that are not Christians that don't get this. I'll be honest, when I first read it too, it was also sort of difficult for me. But when you understand what Jesus is trying to say, again, through hyperbole, that this is the seriousness of what it means to follow Christ. 
This person said, hate your family, give away everything you own. Now, I'm putting these together for a reason because they're in the same chapter. So Luke 14, 26 is dealing with the first part, hate your family. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Hyperbole to some extent here. There is going to be people in your life that are not going to be happy that you're a Christian. I've had that happen in my life. I've had people walk out of my life that were close friends of mine or family members that um, look at me differently, treat me differently, um, have a different viewpoint or opinion of me now because I am a Christian. It does put a spotlight on me to make sure that I understand they're watching me more closely. They're going to scrutinize every word or action I take if it does not seem to be in line with a Christian action or motive or truth. And I'm fine with that. It's I'm not going to be 100% on all of that. I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail them. I'm going to fail myself. I'm going to disappoint God. But I know that I am saved and I am redeemed and I know God's forgiven me. And I know he wants me to try and do better. And that's all I can do with the Holy Spirit's help. But when it comes to serving Christ, there are going to be people that are going to make a decision. And ultimately, it's the decision you make that initiates it. The, the decision you have to make is to know following Christ is going to the cross. Okay? We know that people in, in history have, become, have been martyred, which means they were, they were Christians that were killed for their faith. They were killed because they were Christians. They went to the cross. They died on the cross because Jesus did something so powerful and so meaningful in their life that they knew no other thing than to continue on in that walk and to never reject the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news that Jesus died for all of us. Jesus came so that we could have life with him eternally. And he came because we needed saving. And the only way that we could have life eternally with him was if he had died on that cross and rose from the grave. And to do that, there are going to be people that disagree, and there are going to be people that hate you for it. Now, Jesus tells us that they don't hate us, they hate him. And because they hate him, they see us as a reflection of him, which means they're going to hate us to, to a certain degree. And if it's even our father or our mother, we choose Christ, we're choosing that road or that path to let go our family members, to let go our dearest friends, to let people go in our life that are extremely close to us but don't share that same faith, the same love we have with Jesus. And so as we've made that decision, that's going to initiate in the others around you to make a decision, to either seek more of what we've got and to look at what we have, to uh, ask questions and to potentially eventually accept Christ as well and understand why we have such a, a dying faith for him or an undying faith for him. Or they're going to take the other way. They're going to completely reject us. Um, they're going to hate us. They're going to disassociate themselves with us. They're going to disown us. And we have to allow that to happen. Otherwise, we're choosing them over Christ. And as hard as that may sound, as difficult as that may be, it is a choice that everybody's going to have to make, and it's really a rejection or acceptance of Jesus Christ. That person isn't rejecting us as much as they're rejecting him. And when you reject him, you're going to be rejecting eternal life with him, and you're going to be embracing and asking for eternal damnation. Now, that, 
we could get in that topic of if if God really loved us, would he let us go to hell? And my answer to that is yes. He loves us so much that he's willing us to let us have our way, even if that means rejecting him. Otherwise, it wouldn't be love at all if he was forcing us to accept him and follow him and love him. We wouldn't have free will. We would be robots. We would be mechanisms in his, you know, machinery of life. But that's not God. He created us to and, and allowed us to have a choice. And so when we look at this very tough passage, a very tough verse to say that we may need to let everybody go, it doesn't mean we're going to hate them, but we need to, in the sense of what he was using, again, hyperbole, we need to be willing to let them go and choose Christ first. He should be our priority. He should be our priority. Moving on to Luke 14.33, which is give, which this person uses as give away everything um, you own. 14.33 says, So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. This goes along the line of giving up our family. We must be willing to give up. I mean, we know that he, Jesus, you know, talked about the rich man. And the rich man came to him and said, You know, I, I've done everything, God. What, what else do I need to do? in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And and Jesus says, give up all you own. The reason why he said that is because he knew where the rich man's heart was. He knew the rich man was going to reject him and say no. He knew that he was going to put his treasures ahead of him. Everything that the rich man was doing was just an act. He was trying to essentially purchase his way into heaven, do good deeds to get to heaven. This is where I say Christianity is so unique and so different from all the other major world religions because it is by grace alone and by the act of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection that we are able to have uh, eternal salvation and be able to go to heaven. It's not; it's by nothing we do. And the Bible is very clear on that. New Testament, Romans, Paul, Jesus are very clear that there's nothing we can do to get to heaven. We, we can't work our way there. And there's nothing in the Bible that tells us the amount of works that it would take to get us there. So many religions out there push this and, and tell us to do this and do that. And that's really just, that is really just a scheme of the devil to keep us preoccupied and busy, to try to continue to one-up the next person beside us, to try to make ourselves look better. But it's, it's by no means a work of our own to be able to get us into heaven. It's Jesus alone. It's Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. It's, it's the act that he did, not the acts that we can't do. And so, the cost of being a disciple is great. It is, it is immense. It's tremendous. It's costly. It's being willing to give up everything we have, including our friends, our family, our deepest and most treasured possessions. It is willing to go and go the extra mile and do everything we can for Christ and for God and, and for what he asks of us. He's not telling us to give up everything. He's just saying, if I ask you to give up everything, be ready to do it. So when we're looking at this, and I hope that you've been listening, and as you've listened to part one and part two of this, and you're looking at these verses, these are these there, there's a bunch of verses that people like to take out of context, a bunch of verses that people like to make these claims and, and just tag a verse onto it and in in hopes of that you're probably not going to read it, that you're just going to believe them. But even if you do, I implore you, please, please remember, know what you're reading. Do some research. If you're not a if you're not a believer, there's there's one thing that you're lacking that makes it easier, and that's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit can reveal to us. So 
even if you don't know God and you want to have an understanding of his word because you're thinking maybe this is very important, maybe it's something I need to know, I promise the Holy Spirit's already prompting you. He's already He's already tenderizing your heart, so to speak. He's already softening you up because he's going to show something to you. He's going to reveal something for to you. If you just go into it and you're just like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to just read this. I'm going to read this one verse and then you read that one verse and you start to formulate this entire idea of of God and Jesus and Christians off of one or two verses or isolated verses like these without the context, without reading the, the, the verses before or after, without reading the chapters before or after, just knowing that these verses in context of the entire Bible, all of the books of the Bible, is contextually accurate and works together and it's seamless. And so knowing that I've read the Bible multiple times, and I'm not bragging here, but it's just something I read every day and I continue to read, and, and you just end up reading it over and over and over again and going through it over and over again. I'm constantly confirmed in my spirit that it is right, that it is true, that things like this are easier and easier to pick apart and just sort of to see and be like, it's clear this person didn't read any more than maybe that verse. Or maybe they even pulled this from somebody else's meme. Maybe they even pulled this and just threw this on here. Because something in their life, just like with Mark Twain, for some reason Mark Twain was either surrounded by bad examples of, of Jesus or bad examples of Christians, or he was hurt somebody, by somebody, or there was something that God didn't do for him in his life that he feels like God should have done. And he had this attitude towards God, this attitude towards Christians, this animosity and this cynicism that was so deep-rooted that I don't know if he ever became a Christian before he died or not. But in the quotes that you can read and just sort of his history and his story, you see that he, he's definitely had a hard time accepting the truth of God and the truth of Jesus. And the person that, that created this meme is also having that same problem. They've been burned. We have to be careful as Christians. We have to know that we're being watched. We have to use our words and measure uh, our words. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in what we say and what we do. We have to separate ourselves. We're holy because he is holy. And holiness means we're set apart. We can't act like this world. We're in the world. and We're all things to all men, but we cannot be sinful in this world. We cannot take part in the sinful things of this world. We need to reject that. And we have the strength of God and the strength of the Holy Spirit in uh, in us to be able to do that. But take these examples here and know that you're going to hear other examples. Christian that's out there, my brother, my sister that's out there, you're going to hear other verses. People are going to take things just... Tune your ears to conversations and you hear somebody say something about Christianity. Maybe they're saying something negative and they throw out a verse or scripture or something, or they, they even quote something that they don't know the chapter and verse or the book for it, but they quote this and you're like, wow, that was taken out of context. And you'll know that because number one, the Holy Spirit will discern that for you and share that with you and give you wisdom to discern that. And number two, if you're reading God's word, then you know contextually that that doesn't fit. That what they're saying, what they're twisting, the, the message of Christ and what they're trying to tell you, it's not part, it has, it's not even close to what Jesus is, is trying to share with us in, in the example that he's given us, or Paul, or any of the other writers. Guys, I appreciate you again. Josh hooked me up. I'm going to share this, and hopefully I'll get this in my head, but Josh hooked me up with this. 
Hey, we are on Facebook, YouTube, and Rumble, or anywhere you download your audio podcast. Please like, share, follow, comment, give me some criticism, help me out. I've already gotten a couple of critiques. We want to improve this. We want to make this a better show for you. I want to be a better communicator. God has given me a message, and that message is to share the truth of God and to defend the hope I have in Him and to do it with gentleness and humbleness and respect. And uh, hopefully you guys will get something out of this. I love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. God bless.